0: Welcome to Whiskey in the Arts podcast, a collaborative exploration of creation and perception, with your hosts Kurt Protzman and Dan Kroll. Part two of our conversation with Ellie Loria on Whiskey in the Arts podcast. Um, I remember writing a, and we'll, and we'll go back this, I remember writing a paper in college about how I, how offended uh, I got by. Um, uh, music that panders um, to a denominator, because it it's taking a thing that flows through my veins and is Im- as important to me as oxygen, mm-hmm. and treats it like it is um, wall-to-wall carpeting. Like you can just like you can just walk into a showroom and pick the pick the one that you want, uh, but- and it's going to be somehow satisfying.
1: Was your premise, though, that it was cynically produced or it was just bad? I Because, mean, you know what I'm saying?
0: Um, uh, both of those things. And, and just to, to kind of backtrack a little bit, um, Ellie brought up a, 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 a super salient point about imperfections and the role of imperfections in, in oh, music, yeah. in whiskey, uh, in the in visual arts. Uh, You know, all of those. And it's not necessarily just happy accidents so much as it's a demonstration of one's connection to the human condition, uh, which is inherently imperfect. And so I think that's an important part of the communication process, that communication loop that we've based this whole thing on. Um, uh, so, you know, whiskey's defined by its imperfections, certainly, uh, that, that Elvis track, you know, him bumping his head on the mic, there's something, there's something incredibly magical about that moment that you would, as the engineer, you're like, oh, now we're going to go to start another take and it was going so well and blah, blah, blah. And they had the, they had the, uh, you know, unmitigated temerity to actually leave that mistake in and have it become... The iconic thing that it's become and I you know I was uh, pre-grousing uh, to Elliot <laughs> pre-grousing. <That's laughs> <a degree>. uh, <laughs> in, in my inimitable middle-aged cranky dude uh, language about how, and, it, and it isn't grousing so much as it's you know thank you for not and this is yeah it's a degree it, it is a, a form of forced listening because you know Lord and Taylor Swift don't necessarily cross my radar on a regular basis and that's on me because i t- and i'd mentioned statistically you know the lord's got 20 million listeners a month on spotify and that sadly shoots up red flags for me mm-hmm. like not and it's not it's terrible because it's popular so much as i know that there's a tremendous amount of popular music that is generated in order to satisfy the masses need for sonic wallpaper to keep them from listening to their own damn thoughts. And I don't really have any use or time for that. Um, and it isn't because I think that it is culturally culturally irrelevant. It's how it's mixed.
1: It's how it's recorded and mixed. Okay, well that, Yeah, because that's different. Because when I sent you the Springsteen YouTube of him coming out in Auckland with just a guitar yep. before his concert and singing Royals... And apparently she wrote a Springsteen song because that's basically the way it comes. <laughs> it will never be royals man it's just it's just absolutely perfect. It is the most intense thing and you yep. uh you know and and he was honoring that song because he surely loved it, and you listen to it and it's 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 incredible that's different than here's how we produce stuff. Uh, for the masses of the radio uh just compressed out of its mind and and uh no dynamic range that's different
0: it is it is and you know the the advent of autotune wasn't in a, wasn't a wholly bad thing uh, but in the hands of the unimaginative it is a wholly bad thing <laughs> um, it's it is it takes an opportunity to communicate uh, and turns it into a commercial for something that does not feed the soul uh it it is it is honestly right. it's like eating um uh what's that's the stuff that uh, it's like eating ballistic gel uh <laughs> sure it's solid uh but there is absolutely no nutritive value to it whatsoever and its purpose is is wholly separated from nourishing you
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's I guess the thing that I get and it's going back to that paper I wrote in college. Uh, and my my instructor was like, "Yeah, you're just bitter. You know what's your, you wow. know, calm down." And yeah. I was like, "I you have get a, off my mind.
1: lawn, pick uh, paper <clears throat> that yeah, you wrote was, in the '80s. I was,
0: I was 19, you know, and uh, and already and, pissed." And, and, and <laughs> my my point was, I have every right <laughs> to judge this and find it wanting. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Yes, because that it was, takes that it, it takes something artistic and makes it commodity, right? And that and that's something yep. that hasn't been lost on me as I have balanced my enjoyment of artistic expression with the fact that there is a lot of commodity music that is packaged and designed for me, for my demographic. And I like it. And I also hate it. And I constantly hear it. And something that I have really been drawn to in contemporary music is that diary style lyricism, and I think that you know these two tracks certainly Ta- Taylor's. I mean, Taylor's
1: that. for sure. Yeah.
2: Yes, right. It's that um, she's specific and yet general, right? She she talks about exactly what happened to her in a series of events: visiting a boyfriend's family for Thanksgiving, forgetting her scarf at the house, and yet it's universal, right? These these details lend to bringing me back, right, to that first devastating heartbreak. And and sure. so she writes kind of as if she's writing to her diary. Same thing with Lord, right? It's it's a similar mm-hmm. as if she's talking to her closest friend or writing in her diary about something that's happening. And so for me, that lyricism is really what has drawn me to the contemporary artists that I love because I I do see expression of self in in those specific and beautifully written details.
1: Ellie, you know, I'd, I'd not heard it described, maybe it's properly described as such, but I'd not heard it described as that diary style. And what's interesting is like on her latest album, I think it's her latest album, uh, what's her intro line like? She's like, I'm doing all right, I'm on some new shit. And it's like, that is a diary entry. What's interesting is, so I'm watching Elvis Costello in the park the other day, and you realize that he has this, this massive respect for Uh, And he did collaboration with like Burt Bacharach, and as solidly back in the in the Brill Building days. And there was someone who did the orchestration, and someone wrote the lyrics, and someone wrote the music, and someone sang it, and someone did the you know all these different pieces and produced beautiful stuff. And then we moved to um, people singing their own stuff and 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 more personal uh, things like that. It I mean it occurs to me in this moment that that the diary style is just the next level of uh that you know the next the next level of that and who am i trying to think of that really i think also does i mean i think these two do it uh ex- extremely well uh but uh now uh, oh, well it's not coming to me but that's an interesting description because it's so personal we move to this more personal singing this more personal writing and singing of your own things mm-hmm. and um uh, and it's' it is very personal writing mm-hmm. and you wouldn't you would almost think it wouldn 't translate uh, because I get fascinated about very plain spoken things in music that that transcend your experience, and I often wonder like how and so when I think about a diary style, I think like well how, how does that even register with me you know
2: yeah, and and that term I wish I could credit, I actually think that it was like a review maybe of Taylor Swift's Fearless album that I sure. first came, that they said like, oh, her, you know, her diary writing in the song. Yeah. I, I've come back to that concept because that for me is a, a very defining feature of how I write because I, I don't have anything else. I, I am interpreting the world as I see it and putting it back out. I, and I've as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm realizing I've been way less prolific in my songwriting, but I think I'm just entering a more you know thoughtful and listening side of my uh, time in my life rather than trying to regurgitate it which i think is a teenage thing to do <laughs> i have to have something to say about this thing that's right. happening um, and so i've i recently was going through my stuff at my parents house because they they've moved and I, I have a box of probably 300 song lyrics that were written and i was like wow i used to be way more creative but I actually i just think i thought i had more to say Then, Um, But I I have then sought out artists who write songs, especially female artists, because for me, my femininity is, is essential to me. And I have really gravitated towards artists who share their experience in such a way that it actually makes it mine, too. that that this is this is a a heartbreak i've experienced somehow and i that song all too well came out over a year after my first real devastating first love heartbreak and i have come back to at at that time it came on and i was like already i was with cam by then and i was i'm sad i can't talk to you today this this track is wrecking me because it took me right back even though it wasn't my heartbreak it wasn't I didn't go to my boyfriend's house for Thanksgiving and forget my scarf there, but that was so poignant to me somehow.
1: And the thing in that that uh, uh, hit me, mm-hmm. we often talk about whether we need to be timeless on this or if I can say ourselves Costello in the park or we look forward to the next one of these coming out or whatever. But the thing that hit me today in preparation for this was that line it was a masterpiece. And that just so um, beautifully—it's so difficult to listen to because that's the hard part about any heartbreak. You're like, it was perfect; it was absolutely perfect.
2: And her line when she just says, "I was there." Yeah. I was witness to it too. It, It happened.
0: I think you know you you talk about like going back to the point about diary style there in in your point about you know you as a as a uh, as a maturing lyricist there's that period where you tell people a thing and then there's the period where you invite them into the emotional sphere around that thing and that's that's where i think the difference in recording technique makes all the difference in the world the words mean a thing the sonics let you see behind the thing or they don't they either produce a wall that you don't get to look behind a wall of artificial perfection and 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 uh, airbrushing of blemishes and so on and so forth that renders it um uh, emotionally uh, uh unavailable and mm-hmm. and honestly um emotionally uninteresting even if the words are mm-hmm. but if you if you open up the sonics of a tune like that. And, and it's a function of and it's an exercise in indulging in your own vulnerability uh, to do that because it allows for it allows for breathing space. It allows air into the piece. It allows for uh, people to to hear your natural singing voice, to hear the, the the imperfections in your, you know, in your vibrato or in your intonation or whatever it is and it gives it imbues the lyrics with more meaning because you've let people into the emotional sphere not just the words and that's those two tunes allow that allow that space in a brave and vulnerable way mm-hmm. that you don't that you don't always get in contemporary music and i'm saying anybody's contemporary music you can go back to the thousands of years ago when i was your age that brand of over compressed and and uh a hyper commercialized trash wasn't there were there were no emotions in it to begin with and it was emotionally unavailable because of its of its vapidness Mm -hmm. and that still happens today there's still plenty of that going on today but in these pieces and in loads of other examples it's and we're talking we're talking even more about this the way something is recorded and mixed allows the emotional space for the listener to join you in your in that sphere of the uh, the emotions that generated the inspiration behind that track to begin with and there's something vulnerable about that and
1: i think in that barn start that ellie put on i think that when my time comes and she had mentioned josh ritter you you we've had this really some of it's gotten a little gross but we've had this really cool era that I would say, um, uh, 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 and these are two of my not favorites, but I would credit them with bringing popularity to the sound, Mumford and Sons and Lumineers, mm-hmm. of of bringing some tenderness, bringing down some noise, bringing some focus on the words. Uh, Josh Ritter recorded a song with the Milk Carton kids, and it's, it's called Losing Battles. And Josh Ritter, I think, uh, you see him live or you listen to him, he's not hiding behind a thing in his recordings. Now, he's not... Taylor Swift, and he's not Lord. He's not twenty million mm-hmm. at all. So it's not really a not really a fair fight, but it, but there is a lot of music. Um, there's a lot of music that enjoys pretty strong popularity today. Where I think it is highly vulnerable music. Uh, it is it is, um, and, and the the lyrical content. And, and the emotions it's conveying are really laid bare. It can actually go the other way and be just a little gross because you've got to write a really good song around that because mm-hmm. it's so laid bare. Uh, but I think the examples that Ellie's brought up are, are exactly right. Say I, I got a little item here. Oh, look at you! What do you got? <laughs> it's um, it's I hate to buzz market this, but it's that uh, it's that That's new a... Whistle Pig Seltzer, and uh, it's uh, uh, it's. Uh, it's that Barrel Pick uh, Seltzer by Wh- uh, Whistle Pig. This one's really good. It's got uh, it. This one's mango, and it doesn't have that that chemically taste because I think they use real mango in it.
0: Are you drinking a PBR? Yes, that's <laughs> what you're drinking. <laughs> okay, I, I, uh, I stumbled I a, a little. Feeling, <laughs> I had a feeling that uh, there might be some
1: shenanigans. Although
2: <laughs> mango and whiskey seltzer in a yeah. can, I think I have
3: some experimenting to do.
1: <laughs> whistle pick barrel pick barrel pick seltzer seltzer yeah, now with mango uh, that's reaching <laughs> wow
0: <laughs> I think Dave Picker just roll it's a it's a it's a,
1: uh, it's a collab with uh, tr- the, the good folks over at Truly Truly <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh gross. Oh, that's, so, oh, man. <clears throat> that's so gross. And you know, it just uh, popped in my head as you were talking about this. Uh lyrical content is one thing. But I think the really successful lyricists mean a number of things at once. I mean there's there oh, is yes. there's nothing particularly emotionally uh, connective or uh or you know prosaically inventive about she thinks my tractor is sexy. there's nothing. There's nothing there that is an empty vessel. But if you if you listen to some of the things that are being you know said and spoken in these tunes, there's the words, and there's and then there's meaning that has uh, that's so much more than the sum of the words. Uh, Kurt, you were drinking a spaghetti earlier. It is so much more than the sum of its parts. It's yeah. it's Miller High Life and uh, Aperol. And, lemon uh, juice. and 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 a and a tiny bit of lemon juice, and it's it's dynamite. It's fantastic, and it doesn't seem like it ought to work. Well, but in, there's in,
1: a, much more to it than that. Mm-hmm. In that, in that RCA Studio B, that Ellie was in with her dad, mm-hmm. and thinking about the the Elvis thing, uh, nineteen seventy three, Dollar Pardon recorded "I Will Always Love You." Yes. If you can find. A more simple and beautiful song yep
2: especially because it was not written as a love song
0: no no it wasn't
2: right and yet and yet it's a heartbreak anthem it's right thank you for the memories but it's it's a a walking away but it was not it was not that and she walked in and sang sang it right to her, her manager
0: yeah, uh, when she was leaving that management situation, yes. she just walked uh, was, in and started like, singing it. Right, we gotta, it, I gotta go. Uh, and yeah, and that's the that's the bit. Um, you know, it's you, and when you hear the backstory, it makes the tune so much more. Damn, really, holy crap! That's like it lands to the friggin' sternum, mm-hmm. uh, and it and it it. it it gives away the. It, it really exposes the genius uh, of Dolly Parton and of that of that track, mm-hmm. because there's tremendous pain hidden behind what's actually being said. That you you don't necessarily hear it translated in the specific words so much, but you hear the hell out of it in the track itself. Well, particularly once you know the backstory, but even without that, you you hear pain behind what is presenting itself as this sort of a joy and celebration and love thing. Uh, and, and that's, I guess, what I'm talking about, seeing behind what's being said to what's being felt.
1: I think it's totally elective to know that backstory because it is so beautiful and so sort of broadly applicable. It'd be very hard to be a human of any adult age and listen to that without being able to apply it somewhere in your life. Yeah. Right.
2: Well, and don't sleep on Doctor My Eyes for the same reason. That oh, song lyrically, well, first of all, lyrically and musically sound very different. And that that process came from Jackson having written it and done a demo of it years before it was ever recorded in this way. And uh, his companies were not recording that, it, and he had to go rework for months the lyrics because they were too dark. Like this is a, this is a oh, wow. lighter version and then re- reworked the, the backup tracking in the musical track with, you know, yeah, I mean, incredible talent in the studio to do it. Oh but, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I, I was, yeah. I was freshening my memory of who was actually on that track and thinking, oh, okay, so this is, this is the, this is where it all started, right? Like this is yeah. where it began, but you know, you, I think it was, um, J.D. Souther and Glenn Fry, who on a documentary about the Eagles said they, they shared apartments in the same building or maybe even in the same unit as Jackson Brown. And they said he just lamented those lyrics for months, getting them exactly right. And so, you know, we talk about how things can be delivered from the beyond. And I have sometimes not said not putting myself in this category, but there have been times where I have just felt like I've received a song that I didn't actually write it, that it just kind of flowed through me. And mm-hmm. then there's this other side of this writing that is careful and precise and saying exactly what you want to say so that the more transcendent themes can play through. And that song with its exactly. ambiguity about the future of this of this situation of, of what he's facing, set to a lovely four-four beat and you know beautiful <laughs> well, tracking is is a exactly. it's an interesting. It's a it's a really interesting foray into what we're talking about. You, yep.
1: you you've got to you've you know good writers at it, and we all know songs where you hear a line and you're like, it it ruins the song. Because You're like, I think you should have spent a little more time on that. In in yep. the it drives great me nuts. Ones,
2: I lose my mind. Right,
1: right, right. The 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 uh uh. uh I've had artists almost ruined for it because I've thought, "Come on, come on." So, a uh, very famous Texas um, songwriter, Guy Clark, wrote some amazing things that uh, people like Jerry Jeff Walker made big hits like "L.A. Freeway" and stuff. And he was just the master because he the the the. the, the the songwriting craft and the uh, unwillingness to release anything until it is just perfect. And, um, and that's how you build, a, a, you know, that's how you build a career. That's how you build that kind of, those are the songs like Dr. Miles where everybody loves it because it's, it's, it doesn't, uh, it, it's flawless.
0: it really is and and, you know you'd mentioned the the talent in the studio i just want to uh make sure that we that we shed plenty of light on that uh because you know (laughs) i've always loved that track but uh until today when i did the research on it you know you recognize a thing an element in a track a subconsciously you just know but you don't know you don't you know as soon as it's like of course, that's Graham Nash and David Crosby. Of yes. course, it is. Are you kidding me? And, uh, and you know the idea that and uh, Russ Conklin because those are your friends. <laughs> of course, Russ Conklin <laughs> you know is an amazing studio drummer, amazing like like uh, like era defining studio drummer. And Leland Sklar, give me a break. I mean that guy's uh, been on you know top notch recordings his entire career. So and, and so and then so you you got all that going and yeah, as like if of that course I, you know <laughs> you have hear. And and then you and then I did the I did the uh read the the, the life story of Jesse Ed Davis, the guitar player. Yes. And it's absolute tragedy. It's yes. like gut-wrenching tragedy. Uh, the, uh that guy had problems upon problems upon problems. He was dead by forty-two, yeah. uh uh drug addiction, uh uh alcohol addiction, uh, you know, recovery, failed recovery, and finally died at forty-two. Um even that <laughs> finally sounds cool. yeah. It's like it just so wrap that whole story. Yeah, we're coming back dying, to the you know? uh, back to that eternity
2: concept that I brought uh, up. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's uh, who is it? It's um oh the uh, like the um um uh, Bill Haley in the comments. Rock around the clock. That yeah. guy, that guitar player, died before that tune ever got released. Right. It's an amazing oh. guitar solo. One of the epic iconic guitar is in all of rock and roll uh and it, one of the earliest yeah i was gonna say and he early. was he was dead before it was released and so you can't you know in hindsight you know that about the track you hear it and the track makes you happy and sad simultaneously when maybe if you hadn't known that it would just make you happy uh but there's something about jesse's playing on that track that always sounded sad to me, always sounded lamenting to me, the tone of it, the phrasing of it, the note choice, the uh, you know how he shapes a note with his pick hand. All of that stuff sounded sort of lamenting and wailing to me. And then you read that and it's like, somehow I knew that. It's like, I, I knew it was Graham Nash, even though I didn't know it was Graham Nash. Somehow I knew that dude led a tragic life through what he played on a guitar in a single solo in one track it's just it, that kind of it's it's a um it's a it's an emotional singularity it's sort of um um it's asynchronous synchronicity kind of a thing uh, that that you get stunned by once in a while when you when you dig into music a little bit further and further and you know whiskey as well you you, you find yourself in these in these these moments of of holy cow I just I knew it and I didn't know it and that's half the fun
2: there is this great tragedy of the way that this world we live in works that somehow trauma creates the greatest beauty like if we could have if we could have made beauty without trauma it would have been a lot uh, more enjoyable I think for a lot of people <laughs> but it is right it is part and parcel to creation I think something that has kind of be- revealed itself to me about all of these tracks too and we talk about you know what what a track means when the artist has passed or um the way that memory works in that way right this music that has continued to be impactful i mean i was sitting in my (laughs) in my vw (laughs) jetta running to the bank today um listening to are you lonesome tonight the fact that we we still listen to music that makes me think about um It makes me think about longevity but also you know shared memory and legacy legacy is the word i'm looking for that whiskey really makes me think about a lot because whiskey is old brands of whiskey are old especially in scotland um that at a young age and something that i grapple with and i think it's one of the reasons that so many of my the things that i listen to in general, but also the tracks that I've I've brought to the table today, are about death and eternity. It, it's that legacy. It's it's what are you creating that will last? And I, you know, there's something to be said for. There's a lot of music being created today that doesn't last. That that won't. There was a lot of music right. created at the same time Elvis was creating music that hasn't lasted. Um, hmm. But when we when we think about the things that we create now that plant the seeds for the future, whiskey is an incredible case study because you create things that you may not see come to fruition a master distiller may not see the outturn of of something that he or she is working on in the future but it's about creating that legacy and that continuation and and something to pass down that is just so fascinating to me and and creating something permanent is is a it's a natural human inclination towards right. We all want to create something right. lasting and permanent.
1: There's that scene in Sideways, uh, directed by Alexander Payne, where, um, what's his name is limit. He's just so frustrated his book's not getting published, and, uh, um, and they're talking about well, maybe it'll get published, you know. When, when when he's older, when he when he dies, and his sidekick who who kept you know, drinking it and go drinking whatever and going like tastes good to me, he goes like, well, you know, there was a guy that wrote that book, the uh, what it was the heartbreaking uh, uh, work of staggering genius, and he got very famous. And he's like, yes, after he died, <laughs> you know, like, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, you, you know, you can read you can read about artists like Picasso. He knew he was a rock star. I mean, he he got to know he was a rock star. And it's funny. I've never thought about this. I wonder the, uh, this makes me sound analytical, and I'm certainly not, but like the percentage of great art where the artist has has understood that their legacy was assured. Right. We just lost Charlie Watts. I'm pretty sure he knew. I'm pretty sure he was a guy so full of... Seemingly so full of humility. I mean, the, the band that created rock stars, they created the archetype for rock stars. They, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards created what a rock star is. Beatles didn't. They did. Um, Charlie Watts was always to the side of that a little, but he was right there, and he, you know, he had to know his legacy was assured. Yeah. Dan, you said a, a, after Painted Black was recorded, it uh, that, he could have hung it up. He could have hung it up. It's amazing. You listen to the intro of that thing. The whole world knows that. 12-year-olds know what that sounds like. It's ridiculous. Right.
0: right. And, you know, it's funny. It brings up an interesting point about, um, you know, you look at somebody like McCartney or whatever. It brings up an interesting point that we could spend another entire episode on uh, in terms of the apex of one's creative output uh, and and how long you can ride the that knife's edge. Uh, and and who who's gonna who's going to have what uh, arguments about you know when or if the stones ever stop being relevant but those guys never they never stopped being them uh and no matter how many times you think they struck they, ca- they captured lightning in a bottle they continued in you know in live performance uh, or in continued in, in embodying the fact that they had. Uh, captured lightning in a bottle a bunch of times, regardless of whether you whether you think you know Steel Wheels is worth
1: it as a record or whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter because they were never not a band. They're not a retread act. I like I like. Okay, I you know I could say bands that I just think, come on, um, but they never quit. So in that way, you know, they all they really ever wanted to be was a blues band and they kind of acquiesced to rock and roll they mm-hmm. only really wanted to be a blues band and to the extent that um bb king played was still playing like 2 and 300 night dates through his 80s yeah and, and you know and tours to the end of his life it, it, it's that uh journeyman sort of Oh, in the fact that he would comment that he's still working on his tone, but I mean, that's what the Stones are. Mm-hmm. They're not a retread anything. They've been at it for since the beginning, and they've never stopped. Right, right.
0: And you know, when you, I think, when you embody a thing like that, you can't. it's not. It's not in you to stop. Uh, I remember uh, this is a while back now, but I got a I got a chance to meet Ralph Stanley, um, and wow. he had just he had just blown the doors off the theater that I'd seen him at in Chicago. And then I got to meet him afterwards and he, he was an old and frail man and yeah, was sure. dead within two, three years maybe, but on stage and he's, he was just out there grinding it out and on stage, it sounds like seeing Willie Nelson now. I'm surprised I don't carry him on to the, to the stage and just prop him up. But once the once the record light goes on or what I, once the guitar is on, they're just bringing it. Uh and, and there's no stopping them. It's just who they are. Their essence comes out of them, uh, just out of their pores.
1: Well, in in this TikTok world, I love what Ellie's talking about, which is um appreciating um the kind of uh, uh durable art mm-hmm. that 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 hangs with us, right, Ellie? I mean,
2: yeah. it and and because there is so much music that is made for immediate consumption for the various amazingly fun things that I get to do in my life, like have a beer at a tailgate and have somebody playing something on a speaker that's also competing with what somebody else has on a speaker, right? There are so many (laughs) of those things that will just disappear into the air and, and not carry any weight for me going forward. There are tracks that have defined my life and I will continue to carry with me. And that is where things that my dad especially has shared with me tracks that have been meaningful to him doctor my eyes those are tracks that he's carried with him as part of who he is and so in sharing that with me he's sharing who he is and continuing his own legacy and his own you know permanence in the world um and it's so it just fascinates me and i you know i grapple with that a lot because i create things that are are meaningful to me and at this point in time, they pretty much stay with me. Occasionally, the cat gets to hear, and Cam does too. But I, <laughs> I generally don't. I don't go out and play the same way that I used to, which was a cathartic and honestly free therapy um, for me to get up on stage and sing songs I'd written about my high school life that that I just, I needed to process somehow. And some of those have stuck with me, but most of them haven't. But how do I, yeah? How do I create something? permanent and lasting and everything else. yeah
1: but you like being near it so it's like it you is. being in studio b and knowing that's where elvis recorded that like if i'm driving thundercat or i'm driving uh these other incredible artists we had in town you know like krungben and and it, it, uh people on one level i always feel like it sounds a little shallow but it's like guess what i like being backstage you want to put me in studio b where it happened you want to put me backstage where something's really happened? I don't play golf. This is what I care about. <laughs> yep. So right. I'm right there. You know, I could be at the Masters and I'd talk about it the same way, which is, I'm, I'm not it, but I'm a little bit a part of it. And I often think like, ooh, does that sound? And I think I just don't really care. Of course, of course, I want. If I'm Ellie, I want to see Studio B. Of course, I want to stand backstage. Mm-hmm. Because it's what it's central to what I love. Of course, I want to be in the distillery. You know, Dan's bringing me along. Yes. I'm not very smart about this stuff. Uh, it, it's, uh, 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 but I get it. Like, hey, this is something I love, and this is where it's made. Yes. Wow, that's amazing.
2: Yes, I claim Glen Goyne, and I have nothing. I have no professional connection to Glen Goyne. But to me, <laughs> that, is, that is a place that I went, and it was impactful and you do you feel like a part of something when you are in the place where that thing was made i i feel completely connected to hank wonder's first album because i was in the studio i got to be there um an incredible incredible time and that there's a moment actually on baby loves bourbon at the very end where and i meant I will find out who to credit with this but there was a a pretty large group of us doing backup and they wanted a big female vocal riff right at the end of that song and one of the women recording said oh I can do it and they said okay well do you want to practice she said no just hit record and she recorded that take and that there is something that I I will forever feel connected to in that because I got to stand there Goosebumps all over my body watching her commit to this moment um, but you do you feel Like it's a part of you and you're a part of it and and that will outlast Any anyone It's something that's been recorded and committed to vinyl and tape and everything else yeah,
1: there's a um steve ray vaughn and his older brother jimmy vaughn did a album together and uh there's a song where they're they're just they're trading riffs and doing all kinds of stuff. And I love the beginning of the recording because they left it on the recording and you hear Jimmy Vaughn go, roll and I'll just feel something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 right? Yeah. <All> right. <laughs> <laughs> roll and I'll just feel something. You all right, know,
0: dude. It, <clears throat> exactly. And what's interesting, it, it struck me as you were as you were talking about. Um, the you know the process of being in the room when the when that backing track vocal track was uh, was laid down, w- music you know if you are if you're an artist of some kind a musical artist of some kind you have your legacy that you're looking to secure you have to a degree the legacy of the genre that you occupy that you are a you you carry the water for that genre along with you. Uh, over the course of your career uh, as as that as that artist um, I remember sitting in a, a, se- a Glamorgie seminar as it turns out uh, with our master distiller and the seminar was based on the the the, the 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 statement that he had made that I inherited a legacy that it was up to me to continue to uh, yes grow and develop and, and evolve. But there was a hundred and sixty odd years at that point of legacy that had been cemented before I ever even arrived on the scene. And as much as I brought my creative process to that game, and I was a part of, uh, you know, the evolution of this concept of Glamouringy, I still had I owed a debt of obligation to the legacy that was already there when I shot when I arrived. So the tasting was. Uh, and I bring it up because that's what we're drinking: ten-year-old uh, Glenmorangie, going back. And we tried, we tried ten-year-old uh, Glenmorangie's from the nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties, two thousand, two thousand teens. Wait,
1: isn't uh, it no longer ten years?
0: It is ten years. Uh, original has been uh, original is our ten-year-old product. Um, and so it's you know the the flagship expression of Glamorange going back at least that far, is a ten-year-old ex-bourbon matured whiskey. And so his, so he put a challenge to this group, and it was a group of, a pretty high value collector guys at the at the end in Vegas, and he just said to him, "Look, you be the judge. How have I done? Have I have I continued? Have I carried the legacy on admirably or not? You tell me." And so we we tried through all of them, and it was remarkably consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of struck me that that's not an ego play you can't on some level you have to check your ego at the door in order to continue to to tote the bail for a legacy that's bigger than you
2: yes especially a legacy that is carried by a name i think that is such an interesting thing in whiskey right we talk about the names of these big houses and and what that has carried with it and that the juice changes right the The product will always change just because the world that it's being created in has changed. Uh, But that that name is the thing that I I think a lot about names. I will be taking my fiance's last name when we get married next year and I will not be the first Eleanor Curry. His grandmother was Eleanor Curry. And there's there's something to be said, right? I'm not the same woman, but I'm carrying that same name and carrying that forward. And what does that mean? And and what does that mean? You know, what do what do I want to do with with that title in some ways? It's a really interesting concept when you think about permanence and and, you know, joining a family tree and in the same way of being the next master distiller in a long line of distillers associated with a certain name, brand. It's a really interesting component of all of this.
0: Right, you have no intention of leading uh, a, co- a carbon copy of the life that she led. I can't, <laughs> but it's certainly yeah. There's no, there isn't any physical way to do that. And, and as you'd mentioned, you know, the the world in which you operate is not the world that she lived yeah. in. Uh, you know, by by uh, many many different measures, it, it is a different place. Mm-hmm. But in the back of your head, there is a there is a there's, a, there's not a legacy to maintain but the weight of a legacy that existed before you came along that will exist after you you're gone that plugs you into a a family tapestry that is that is built around the concept of it ain't just one person it can't be that's the nature of family Mm -hmm. so yeah and and it brings up another and you know another interesting point we could spend another entire episode on um you know men don't deal with it but women if they choose to deal with the idea of relinquishing their former identity in in name form for a new for a new moniker uh that um that ca- i imagine could challenge one's f- foundational underpinnings emotionally.
2: yep yep it does (laughs)
0: yep (laughs) that answer was available halfway through the question it was yeah
1: i took a a nice sip of my whiskey in preparation to answer that that
2: prompt no and it does and um (laughs) with that you know i think of it the same way right like an artist creating a new album um there's there's this opportunity to reinvent and rewrite and but also you know you don't you don't want to lose who you are and i i don't take a new name because I want to lose who I am or, or completely redefine who I am. But it's, it's just part of the journey that I choose to have. Um, and I, I think about Taylor Swift famously is quoted early on in her career as saying, I will never stay the same. I will never change, but I will never stay the same. And this concept that Nothing can stay the same, but I, I, you know, holding on to self and the essence of what something is, while continuing to evolve and grow, and and become even in many ways a truer version of self. So it's it's an interesting.
1: Well, it 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 borders on conversations of uh, uh, statements of. um, It's our interaction with people. It's our compromise. It's our Um, collaboration, Um, it's never really just us. It really isn't for anything achieved or screwed up. And, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything to be apologetic. I think the idea of, of, or even remotely, I think the idea of families and names and carrying this on, and that's a super fascinating uh, aspect of uh, of whiskey is 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 to look at that. Those brands mean something. It means something on a marketing level, but they mean something otherwise. And I hate it when I see brands uh, bastardize themselves. I mean, there's you can buy a stroller that says Jeep on it. Well, come on, <laughs> right. the, the, the the Jeep won the war, man. Don't put it on a stroller. Don't right. put it on a duffel bag. Yeah. Don't put it on a, you know, come on.
2: Especially with Legacy of Place, which is so part and parcel to so many brands in Scotland, that the distillery has the same name as the town because that's the town that made that whiskey. And the brands actually didn't exist as fully formed companies until um, tax law was reasonable enough for yeah. them to feel like they yeah. could operate. Right. And and yep. that those people, they they are part of the history and that family lineage of the brand. And that for them, it, it goes beyond just a marketing, oh, look at this beautiful place where this thing was made, come visit, see it. No, it's actually who that whiskey is. It's its, it's entire identity is tied up with, where it was created, whose hands touched it along the way, and how it formed a town or sprung out of a town that already existed.
1: Right, that's a feeling you don't really get when the prime truck dumps a bunch of shit on your stoop. No, that's sort of the opposite of no. that, and it and that's why you feel awful about it. Yes, it's that. It's you're that doing high it. and like a,
2: empty. Like, oh, when's the next? Yeah, I mean, to
1: I told you, out. I divorced. I divorced Costco today. You know, and it's like. I mean, honestly, because I don't need like two dozen apples at a time or whatever, but uh, there is a disconnect uh, in this world a little bit, and and I think we do lean into, I think, I don't know how this works economically, but I, I, I do believe, I know it's true enough for me, and I think I see enough success in true small business that uh, there's there's some equation of like, okay, well, it's just kind of convenient to have that truck drop all that crap off at my house. But I really want to go see her shop, and that's where I'm going to buy the, the present for my sister. And I almost wonder, I mean, you know, they, they, they used to say that Starbucks was crushing all the independent coffee shops. And it turns out there's more independent coffee shops because of Starbucks because they made a market, and they made people want that sort of thing then they wanted it more however they wanted it. And so... Um, it's the hipster thing. It's like doing things really well and really locally. I've seen in the last 20 years get a great resurgence. At the same time, there are these crushing global things. Like when that Amazon truck comes by, I know it's a terrible thing. It is. It's awful. There's no way. There's no way it's not an awful thing. But it does make me yearn for other things that are a little bit more real and smaller. So... A brand like this you know this bottle um, yeah that's fantastic because it's uninterrupted in that way
0: right and and, you know and to a degree you have to if you're a part of a family or part of a brand uh, or you know uh, are part of a band you know there's loads of bands out there that once the principal songwriters part ways then their solo albums don't sound anything like that band did uh, because in the confines of the band there are not restrictions so much but there is a meeting of the minds that con- that not doesn't conform that takes a certain form because of the constituent parts you can't go you can't just go making uh, an aggressively peated glamorangi. Because it is so not in keeping, not just with the legacy of the brand, but how the distillery is built. It's just not possible if you use. It's uh, It's like I, uh, without bionic limbs, I'm not going to run 60 miles an hour and look like Lee Majors. Uh, it's just I have legs, but it's not. I'm I. I can't do that with the legs that I have. You can't make. We can him. rebuild him. Thank you, and I hope at some point we to, have to the have technology. <laughs> but there's that and in a you know in a family setting you, you there are the there are not necessarily even unspoken rules but there is a there's an infrastructure and in order for you to exist successfully within that infrastructure things are asked of you uh certain restrictions not restrictions certain concessions are uh and uh and agreements and um uh subjugating the needs of the individual to the needs of the group um that stuff is is not easy uh but it's required in those environments that, that and that I think that's what helps people to see that you can't just you can't just you know side saddle ride right your way through uh you know uh um, rugged individual horseshit shit your whole life. It doesn't work like that. There has to be, with our community, we all slowly find our way towards the the, the disillusion of the social fabric.
1: Well, in, in, isn't it well illustrated? Like, I often felt that Starship didn't really honor <laughs> Jefferson Airplane. In I any mean, way, I, I, I often felt did. that it really, it just didn't, it just didn't. No, no, and now, you know,
0: as, as facetious as that is, it's a prime example of what happens when somebody starts out with a certain cause and ends up uh, suckling at the teat of uh, monetary success.
1: Well, um, I think about it this way, you know, um, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but Dennis DeYoung's solo work for me, I mean, for me, it was it was lacking. <laughs> I, 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 hate to, I, hate to, I, hate. to. say that it was for me. It was lacking. It didn't. It didn't honor, you know, the legacy that I I had come. But I know that when we went and saw Dennis DeYoung, you, Dan Kroll and me, when we saw Dennis DeYoung perform with <laughs> the Omaha is, Symphony,
0: this is a work of fashion, when,
1: when we the saw the <laughs> saw him perform with the Omaha Symphony, probably about ten years ago. I saw your tears.
0: Uh, You didn't, uh, because that didn't happen. (laughs) And secondarily... He did play uh, with (laughs) Omaha
1: Symphony. That part is no shit real.
0: (laughs) Yes, but if Kilroy was here didn't give you a sense of where he was headed artistically, then it might have been a missed sign. Perhaps Um, he was ahead of all of us. (laughs) We just didn't know it. (laughs) Perhaps. Uh, I think we could probably uh, give him... I don't know. The benefit of at least some of that doubt, (laughs) some of that crushing (laughs) doubt. (laughs) Well, we're way out past where we would normally be. And I may, again, this is a, this is a a lot of tremendous uh, material and uh, it's been a a fascinating discussion uh, that we've had with you, Ellie. Um, So many terrific insights uh you know we we can't thank you enough for uh what you brought to the table here the the, the fact that I mean I knew early on that you got the concept because of the, you know, just the interactions that we that we had
2: my incessant <laughs> emailing of okay so these are my thoughts on this week's episode. was <laughs> the, the unsolicited uh, yeah, that's great. feedback that
0: I, yeah. uh, it's it's a it's a forced listening kind of thing and that's gr- that was great uh because I you know uh, at the end of the day I felt like wow this this gal actually gets what we're attempting to do on a level that's deeper than having just read the synopsis and kind of internalized it, you uh, growing up in a musical family that makes a tremendous amount of sense to me now. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the fact that you sort of devoted your, uh, your, your your part of your creative existence to the, the, the furthering of uh, whiskey education and advocacy those things all make a lot of sense to me now that we've had a chance to chat through all those things I, I can't uh, I can't wish fervently enough for your success in the whiskey industry for your success as a, as a composer, singer, songwriter, uh, you, uh, you certainly have a a lot to give in both of those arenas. Uh, and, uh, we've just, we've just had a blast. Oh, I'm so glad.
2: Honestly, you described this premise and I was like, oh, so that's, um, like a big part of my life actually that they're (laughs) describing you. You've somehow (laughs) boiled down like, Oh, okay that's me that's uh, whiskey and music
0: okay. now that we've had a chance to talk it. I mean it is that's fantastic
1: well but I think there's this huge element of of being an old soul and I have to tell you that yes. I have truly spent time with your songs I have made time to spend time that's with clear. them that's clear, uh, clear. They, they have met uh, something to me specifically uh, and I appreciate that uh, and uh, it's a beautiful list and I was uh, so excited to ask you about these songs and and it was uh more than i expected and uh um we're gonna make dan a taylor swift yes i'm I'm open to the idea of it for sure
2: listen to her (laughs) most recent two folklore and evermore okay start there actually um she has returned to since leaving uh big machine records she has returned to that yeah, that diary style, but a lot. It's it's folksy. It's interesting. It's imperfect. It's all the things we've talked about. There've been so many moments today where I've been like, okay, so that song of Folklore, that song of Evermore. It, it's, <laughs> they're worth listening to and listening to together. She created them as a sis, as sister albums, so they're, they're oh, interesting. oh cool. Okay,
1: good well, to know. I, I I didn't I couldn't I couldn't quite decode it all because I couldn't guess the stories she told around these songs. But they were diverse enough that I knew there was going to be something really special about them, and you could tell you labored over them. And uh, that's really flattering that you you did that um, and and then shared those stories with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, to anybody who who stumbles upon this podcast and listens to this episode, please do yourself a favor and listen to the Companions uh, Spotify playlist. Um, All the things that we've been talking about over the course of this discussion are on it. Uh, both contributions from kurt and from ellie um uh, are on it and they certainly lend a tremendous amount of context uh and emotional weight uh to the discussion that we've just had so uh, please check those out um the <clears throat> the companion playlist for the whiskey and the arts podcast on spotify uh again uh, ellie we can find you on instagram at uh at castqueen uh, so, uh, dear listeners, please check out her output. She's um, she's a, she's a uh, vocal advocate for the output of Bullyboy uh, Distilling. Uh, you're on the you're within a, a year ish of getting married, so we're very excited to see um, how it, the, the rest of your life evolves from this point. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have going on musically whenever that happens and uh, and uh, we'd love to have you back it's oh time, this if, yes uh, please yeah. this is yeah. my
2: pleasure for sure and i will well oh the... you guys want me to play yeah do it yeah w- I, I didn't <laughs> want to push you
0: but yeah that'd be awesome oh <laughs> okay i can play <laughs> right on right. that would be and terrific we oh
2: we're honored Kurt, we didn't get to your response ads that were so
0: oh there's some great stuff that's me. true
2: I, even even the after the gold rush that you picked up on that line in my Marjorie is my guess on why that ended up on and he yes. references um late for the sky as well um which is another yeah. incredible but yes I I I heard it I saw and actually as I was listening to these I was like oh this guy gets my music taste like this is this is what <laughs> I've been looking for so well the Neil Young
1: one was like a super obvious one but then I Dumbness, I just uh, I love it. <laughs> Well, no, and the Billy Joe Shaver, just because it's basically the same title and uh, the Billy Joe Shaver song. It's thematically such
2: an interesting... Yeah, I'm yeah, you know? I'm going to live forever. Yeah, it's so, so interesting. Yeah,
0: right. Right. So, what do you, what do you got for us, Ellie? What, uh, what, uh, what do you got up your sleeve? I
2: have to tune just a touch,
3: but...
0: Oh yeah, feel free.
1: We can, uh, we, we, we got time
0: for this. <clears throat> In the interim, um, uh, that uh, the ad of After the Gold Rush, um, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but that's the first album I remember. Uh, really? My sister, I'm the youngest of seven, and my sister was a huge, you Neil know, young fan. And when I was old enough to put a uh, an LP record on a turntable, it was After the Gold Rush. Uh, and the tune After the Gold Rush I remember as a as a, a preschooler uh, having my mind blown by the imagery, by yeah, the lyrical sure. content, by the sound of the thing. That whole yeah. album I still own and listen to it on a really regular basis because it brings me back to that. There's something about the the rampant innocence of a four year old listening to that album and just just purely seeing the imagery that's being laid out in a track like After Gold Rush.
1: You know, I think I've admitted this to you. I think that a material percentage of that which I listen to and love is directly influenced by Neil Young. And I haven't really liked Neil Young. And uh, I thought about that today when I put that on there because I thought, you know, this is not, I know it. uh, I like it a lot. I, I don't really love it. I've always kind of struggled with him. And it's so funny or ironic to have so many people like a Dave Rawlings, Gillian Welch, or or at least two tracks on what Ellie uh, uh, gave us. Certainly that lived forever. Well, no, I mean, really that... Uh, uh, uh know, whatever the, really the other one it, like it was directly there was a line in there like uh d- directly from it so that's why I thought about it and it's cool when people honor stuff like that but I still struggle with Neil Young himself interesting not not him as a person uh but the the music and I don't know what that is uh and this has been the last couple of years of trying to listen more to go I bet if you listen to him now knowing So many people are influenced by them. You'll probably get there. Uh, It's funny how you come into things and how you have an introduction and how you can get there. And I don't know. I feel like working on something that is so damn easy for so many.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point uh ellie is now tuned up um, oh, yeah. uh so we're 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 very excited this is also a first for the show so you've you've broken a, a whiskey in the of arts first. unplugged <laughs> yes. i have a tendency so, thank this
1: you. is not
2: the first time this has happened where drinking whiskey has led to me being like yeah i <laughs> uh, there's some incredible uh there's the haven in boston is the Fabulous Scottish restaurant, and I have had. They they always time their Scotch malt whiskey society tastings on Wednesdays before <laughs> the open mic, and there's been some some Ooh. drunken renderings of Caledonia played um, quite late at nice. the stop. Actually, and I was.
1: It's the only way it should be sung. Things
2: that like, I didn't remember happened that Cam was like, oh, yeah, you, you oh. played guitar last night. Like, oh, yeah, that God. happened.
1: Hey, like I always say, uh, the best times you never remember. Yes. So I, exactly. I'm kicking
2: myself. <laughs> I do have a song that I have been working on. It's not complete enough to play any of it, um, but that the theme is um, if 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 things were over, I'd never drink whiskey again. Like the, the, this, huh? this idea, and now I'm like, oh, it would have been so... timely Uh, the the
0: next episode (laughs) that we that we do with you Uh, if you've got it done by then that'd be great
2: i'm gonna keep cracking at it so the one that i'll play for you is um i I wrote this in college Uh, we we talked very briefly about the fact that i went to school in providence and i wrote this song um this is one that kind of appeared to me that i didn't i don't remember actively Uh, sitting down and being like, yeah, I'll write write a song today. But I was walking through a field at this farm that I was doing volunteer work at and pulled out my voice memo and just started singing the song and it just kind of happened. Um, And I went home and finished it. And so it's kind of about grappling with that time, that being on the brink of like moving and reflecting, but looking
3: forward kind of thing.
1: I think that's... I think that's beautiful. Every time I envision myself going through a field, I just see a C. Alice ad.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and with that... Yes, it's uh, <laughs> <coughs>
0: <laughs> So uh, this song is...
3: Uh, it's called Boston. Great. Where would I be without these places? Who would I be without these faces. I keep running along, running along, down the avenues. keep running along, running along, just to make it through. If I don't try it, then I will never know. If I don't leave now, then I may never go. Keep running along, running along as the time flies. Keep running along, running along, make it through goodbye. But maybe if I go to Boston, I'll be better by next year. Maybe if I let myself go, I could let go of this fear. I could go to San Francisco, or I could lose myself in Rome. But maybe if I go to Boston, I'll be home. change it but who wouldn't I keep running along running along with or without you keep running along running along just to make it through but maybe if I go to Boston I'll be better by next year and maybe if I let myself go I could let go I could go to San Francisco or I could lose myself in Rome maybe if I go to Boston I'd be home mm. I don't belong here anymore it's written on the wall and all over the floor I don't belong here anymore written on the wall and all over the floor Don't belong here anymore Maybe if I go to Boston I'll be better by next year Maybe if I let myself go I could let go of this fear I could go to San Francisco or I could lose myself in Rome but maybe if I go to Boston, I'd be home. I'd be home. Beautiful. Thank
0: you. Thank you for sharing that. That, uh, <clears throat> that was amazing.
2: Okay. I'm now like humbled and shy, but thank you for listening.
0: <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it, was, it was my pleasure. Oh, it was um, really beautiful.
1: Yeah, that, that was, so was
0: beautiful. that was that was fantastic. Um, uh, speaking of of allowing oneself to be vulnerable, uh, we appreciate that very much.
2: Thank you, and I really took to heart the whole imperfections conversation. So hopefully that's okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and it's it's uh, I love that. I that's I think a really a key element of of meaningful of meaningful music. Uh, so yeah, uh, that was that was really really cool. cool. You okay, Kurt?
1: First ever live performance, man. That was Indeed. great. It was so great. <laughs> that was you terrific. have a beautiful voice, but that's—it's a beautiful song.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks. We'll uh, uh, we'll talk to you again soon, and hopefully, we'll arrange for another one would, of these uh, at some would point. Would love in future it any
2: time. I I have I spent. I mean, since you first mentioned that you would want me on, I have been taking copious notes and thinking about things that i would say and we got to uh the tip of the iceberg so i uh, oh, uh anytime good. it has been a genuine honor
0: oh, awesome awesome thank you yes well we'll engineer that soon because i want to know what's left in that note <laughs> there's notebook. a lot uh-huh.
1: <laughs> careful what you wish for <laughs> <laughs> awesome
2: well thank you guys i hope you're
1: thank you ellie <laughs>